Jesus Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Heavenly Father, as we continue this morning, as we now Turn our ear to hear your word proclaimed. I pray that we can allow your spirit to convict us where necessary so we can apply these truths to our lives and especially as they pertain to the work that Jesus has done for us upon the cross. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. This is a very necessary piece of equipment, a very necessary accessory if you're going to go boating. Who would agree with me? Who would set sail without one of these? For those of you that don't know what this is, I am never boating with you on your boat. This is an anchor. Anchors are vital components to your boating experience. The purpose is to secure a boat in a specific location. It prevents the boat from actually drifting away and it prevents it from wandering from the location in which you want it to be. And see, without an acre, the boat would do just that. It would slowly, over time, before you would even realize it, it would just drift away. Brothers and sisters, we need an anchor. And no, I'm not talking about for your boat. We need an anchor in our spiritual lives. Without an anchor, we would simply just drift away from God. Church, as faithful believers, we know that Jesus is our anchor. And he is the title of our sermon this morning. A better hope. Jesus is a better hope. We are going to be in Hebrews as we continue to go through the book of Hebrews, as I said, verse by verse. We are in chapter 7 this morning. Please feel free to join me in your Bibles if you brought it with you. If not, no problem. Like always, every verse will be on the screen this morning. Chapter 7 this morning, we're going to be getting into specifically looking at verses 11 through 19. And we can't forget, though, that everything is preached here in context. So we have to go back to last week. And Pastor Steve encouraged us in the, the notion that the eternal priesthood of Jesus is superior to the priesthood that was only temporal and earthly of Levi. Today, we're ultimately going to be encouraged to... Draw near to God. Now, remember that I just said that. The ultimate encouragement in today's message is just that. We're going to be encouraged to draw near to God, who is, after all, our anchor, Jesus, a better hope, the one who allows us to do just that. So let's get into our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. 
Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises like the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, we always want to simplify things and put them into a sentence that defies all of these verses. And that sentence this morning states this, only the forever priest could save man from his sinfulness. Only the forever priest could save man from his sinfulness. This is a replica actually depicting the tabernacle. This is where ancient Israelites interacted with God. It looked something similar to this. If you wanted to interact with God, you had to go to the tabernacle. This is where God used to render sinful man acceptable to himself. In order to be acceptable to God during this period in time, you would have to go through the rituals of the tabernacle. In so doing, God used a priesthood along with the Ten Commandments to awaken man to his sinfulness. See, that's really what the Ten Commandments were all about. The 613 laws of Judaism really should just point man, just like the Ten Commandments point man, sinfulness. It's a wake-up call. God gave us the Ten Commandments, A, to, yes, guide us, to protect us for our own well-being, but also we were given the Ten Commandments to make us realize that we are, in fact, sinful. We commit sin, we commit sins, but when it's all said and done, we are sinful. So with that being said, I just want to go over a few points of operation within the tabernacle. There's just a few areas that we need to look at to understand how this tabernacle worked and operated for us to understand where it is we are heading today in Hebrews. See, in the tabernacle, part of the mode of operation, there was a bronze altar. And this is actually where they performed the animal sacrifices. Now, one thing you want to keep in mind as I go through some of these points of operation just keep in mind that there was a purpose for them. The laver of bronze, that's where the priests cleansed hands and feet. Now, let's think about that for a second. What do we know from the New Testament, how we do communion here with the foot washing? 
If the priest had to clean and cleanse his hands and feet, we know that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, representing what he ultimately does with sin. See, what I'm getting at is this. The priests were not just foreshadowing man's sinfulness because that was already apparent. What the priests were actually being used by God to do was to foreshadow Jesus and keep that in mind. Now, another place was the sacrificial offerings. These were the animals instead of humans that were used to be sacrificed to atone for sin. Now, again, very clearly, that's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Because Jesus was sacrificed on the cross for our sin. There was a high priest in the tabernacle. He was responsible for sacrificing these animals. And this, again, foreshadowed Jesus. There was a holy place within the tabernacle designated and divided, or it was divided by a veiled cloth, shielding man from the frightening presence of God. Yeah, I did just say that. The frightening presence of God, because we know that the Bible tells us that God is full of grace, but also wrath as well. And a veil had to be used to shield man from his frightening presence. But again, this is a foreshadow to Jesus because if you remember after Jesus atoned for the sinfulness of the world, that veil was cut down the middle. No longer was man to be divided by a veil. See, the tabernacle again foreshadows what Jesus did. There was the Holy of Holies, and this is where the priests sprinkled blood from the animal sacrifices. Again, a foreshadowing of Jesus. His blood covered all of sin. Ark of the Covenant was located in the tabernacle, and this is God's pledge to dwell among His people. See, the atonement in the Old Testament went through the Ark of the Covenant, but see, in the New Testament, it goes through Jesus. And we're going to see more of that also as well where God's Spirit dwells presently. See, the Ark of the Covenant was a foreshadowing of God dwelling amongst His people, further solidified in the work of Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, early Christians were martyred for saying everything that I just said about the tabernacle. That's right. Early Christians were martyred for calling out what the tabernacle was and what it is now. How the tabernacle actually foreshadowed Jesus. That's specifically the way that's being said here. See, the operations of the tabernacle not only foreshadowed, but were also fulfilled through Jesus. The tabernacle, after all, were nothing but rituals performed by priests who receive their position through regulations. We get a glimpse of this precisely here at the beginning, starting in verse 11. Priests, we need to define this term before we continue any further. See, a priest is an intermediary between mankind and God. We can go to God because of the priest. See, these Jews were able to go to God going through the rituals of the tabernacle. But for us today, we know that things are much different. 
Because we've already studied that Jesus is our high priest. We have access to God because of our faith in the work of Jesus. See, the tabernacle was actually incomplete, which is why in verse 11 it says, if perfection had been attainable. That leads us to believe that the tabernacle itself was in fact incomplete. See, the Levitical priesthood cannot save a soul. No sacrificed animal on the bronze altar, no laver of bronze, no human high priest, no holy of holies, and no ark of the covenant can wash away your sinfulness because it can only be done so through nothing but the blood of Jesus. It says, change in the priesthood. See, we are now a royal priesthood. That's right. Going back to South Bend, Indiana, I had an opportunity to not partake in the Mass. My grandmother was Catholic, but I had an opportunity to read Scripture while I was there. But according to the priest standing behind me, he wouldn't say that I'm a priest. He wouldn't say that you're a priest. No, no, no. He's the priest, and the high priest would be the Pope. No, Scripture tells us, Peter specifically tells us that we are a royal priesthood. The minute we came to saving faith in the work of Jesus, we therefore became priests. We have access to God through the work of Jesus. This is a transfer from Judaism to Christianity, church. This isn't like you know, an enhanced version of Judaism. Now, we understand that Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. It wasn't like they had graduated and now Judaism took on a new form. This is something entirely different. This is Christianity. This is also a transfer in the law. This is a transfer from the law being written on tablets to now being written on man's heart. The Bible in the Old Testament also tells us that as well, doesn't it? Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus goes on to say, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Only Jesus could fulfill what man couldn't keep. See, the point of the law, like we said, is to reveal man's sinfulness. When you look at the Ten Commandments, you should recognize how sinful you are and how much you need Jesus. Only Jesus could fulfill what man couldn't keep. As you observe verses 13 and 14, understand that Jesus is actually from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is actually referred to in the Bible as the Lion of Judah. And no priest had ever served from Judah. Brothers and sisters, allow me to, to reiterate. Only Jesus could fulfill what man couldn't keep. That's why he is our anchor. He keeps us from drifting away. 
Church, let the law reveal your sinfulness to you. That's really what you should be doing when you look at the Ten Commandments. Look at the Ten Commandments from the perspective of, yeah, each ten of these lets me know just how sinful I truly am. What does the Ten Commandments say about us? It says, no other gods. What does that say about you? You have other gods. You've had other gods. What is it that you put in Jesus' place in your life? What are some of the gods that, that you find yourself serving? We're all guilty. We all have to keep that in check. There are things that we put priorities on in life that distract us from the one true God. Have no idols. That's an easy one for us to understand, especially on Sundays, because what do we usually do, most of us, not all of us, each and every Sunday afternoon? We watch football. We might participate in fantasy football. It's easy for us to idolize Celebrities, athletes, or whatever it may be. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. See, that goes beyond just saying the curse word after you say God's name. You can say, oh my, instead of saying, oh my gosh. Or, oh my goodness. See, when you even get excited about something and say, oh my G-O-D, that's actually taking the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. I mean murder. Most of you would probably say, I've never murdered. That one's not for me. Think again, my friend. Have you ever hated somebody? You committed murder right here in your heart. Do not commit adultery. Again, have you ever looked at a woman with lustful intent? You committed adultery right here. And I'm not just keeping that to the fellows, ladies. The same goes for you too. But remember, what did we say? The Ten Commandments or the law would no longer be written on tablets. Where is God going to write the law? On the believer's heart. See, we're getting to the heart of the issue this morning. Do not steal. We've all stolen. Whether it's a pack of gum, like I did. Sorry, my parents are here this morning. I think I was about six. Harvey's, you remember Harvey's? It was where, when Marsh went out of business, I stole my first item <laughs> on purpose. Got away with it until today. Actually didn't get away with it. But it was something simple. But it goes beyond that too. You ever steal an idea or a joke or whatever and not giving somebody else credit? We're all guilty. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. You guys get the idea, don't you? 
We've all committed each one of these Ten Commandments if we were truly honest with ourselves. See, what we do is we don't beat ourselves up with this. We look at all ten of these and say, I am sinful. I'm not just a sinner. I don't just commit sin or sins. I am inherently sinful. I am in need of a Savior. So let's sum up these verses by just saying this. And it's easy for us because the tabernacle and priesthood are derivatives of the work accomplished by Jesus Christ. The tabernacle and priesthood are derivatives of the work accomplished by Jesus Christ. Now that word derivative really just means close to the real thing, but not quite. See, the tabernacle was, was close to Jesus, but it's not quite Jesus. Because there's no Levitical priesthood that can save us from our sinfulness. So when we look at the tabernacle of the Old Testament, we allow it to foreshadow Jesus and the work that he ultimately did, which is why we say the tabernacle and priesthood are derivatives of the work accomplished by Jesus Christ. Again, our main idea this morning said this, only the forever priest could save man from his sinfulness. This is not what you think it is. I know some of you, I know some of you are thinking that this is something that it's really not. And you're probably thinking to yourself, like, who are you to tell me what I'm thinking right now? But I know most of you are thinking that these are derivatives of Michael Young's pajamas. <laughs> I mean, seriously, from what we know about Mike Young, he goes to sleep in a hard hat, steel toe boots, a safety vest, because when he pops up in the morning, he's looking for that work. I'm joking, Mike. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but there is something that we can definitely say back there, Mike. You are definitely drooling underneath that mask when you look at the safety equipment, because you, you're, you're thinking to yourself, you can get some work done in this. We can clap your hands for Mike. Yeah, he does. <laughs> we love Mike. Mike. Mike has done so much here at, at Villa's Grace over the years, and, and we can joke with you, Mike, because we know you do it for the right reasons. You have great intentions, and you do it because you want to love and serve the Lord. So thank you for that. But brothers and sisters, do you know what's unfortunate? And don't associate Mike Young with what I'm about ready to say, because he has nothing to do with what I'm about ready to say. Do you know what's unfortunate? And, and, and think about this. What's unfortunate to me is that most Christians believe this is what they have to put on in order to achieve salvation. See, what I mean by that is this. They think that they have to go out and do work to earn God's favor. When they look at things like the Ten Commandments, they think to themselves, well, how well can I keep these in order to please God? Instead of looking at the Ten Commandments for what they should be looked at for, and that is for the purpose of having your own sinfulness revealed to you. See, too many fail to recognize that the law was actually a curse that's actually been cured in Jesus. And we were reminded of this in our final set of verses this morning, verses 15 through 19. See, the law was temporary. The law was just temporary. However, Jesus is forever. Keeping the law will not save you. 
But Jesus will, so forget your work safety attire. Jesus is completely a different kind of priest. He's not the same priest that came before him. He didn't become a priest because of regulation, because he fit the criteria, so therefore he had to be a priest. No, Jesus was a priest determined by his own moral standard. See, God sets the tone as it pertains to morals. So not only should you take an anchor with you on your next boating trip through life, but you need a compass as well because God is your moral compass. Morals don't come from you. That's another thing. That's another problem. If you think that morals come from you, then you're too busy putting on the hard hat, the steel toe boots, the, the safety vest. You got your tape measure, whatever it is that you need to go through life to try to prove to God that you're worthy to be saved. Because, yeah, your morals are great, aren't they? No, they're not. Morals come from the Holy Spirit who the Lord places in our hearts the minute we come to saving faith in Jesus. Priests of the Levitical order lived and died. They didn't live forever. Jesus lives forever. Brothers and sisters, you have a forever high priest who's forever keeping you anchored to God. A good captain would never set sail without an anchor. And every day we set sail in this satanic world, don't we? Through the routines that we keep, our occupations that we have, our relationships that we have with others, or maybe even the things that we do that we deem fun, like our hobbies. No matter what it is that we do daily, we set sail through this satanic world. So the question for us is this, daily, are you setting sail with or without your anchor? Are you setting sail according to your own moral compass? Because if you are, you are actually without an anchor. The law should tell us as much. If you think that you have good morals because of your own doing, you haven't looked at the law and taken an honest self-evaluation of yourself, have you? Or are you setting sail with the Holy Spirit as your moral compass? See, if you set sail daily with the Holy Spirit as your moral compass, you are actually going through life daily with Jesus as your anchor. Jesus is the law who is written on our hearts, and that's why the Holy Spirit lives within us. We can recognize three things about the law from verse 18 if we look at verse 18. If you go back to the priesthood, the Levitical system in the tabernacle, there's really three things that they're you know, failing to recognize here at this point, these Jewish Christians, as this is written. And that's the reason why the author of Hebrews says this. He basically says that it was weak, it is useless, and it has been shelved. It has been put on the shelf not to be used at the present moment. Why? Why is the law weak? Why is it useless? 
Why has God shelved the law and the rituals that man used to have to go through in order to be made right with God? Why? Well, it's easy for us to see on this side of the cross because only faith in Jesus can save. So as Joe joins me this morning, we know that this is true because of the front end of verse 19. The front end of verse 19 says this, For the nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. Only he who is perfect can make you perfect. Also, we've referenced Jesus as our anchor, haven't we, this morning? This actually comes from verse 19. The part where it says, But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. See, our hope is to draw near toward God. Our hope is to be anchored to God. Brothers and sisters, it's really that simple. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our anchor. He is the one that is keeping us from drifting away. So with that being said, I just want to go just over a few ways that we can draw near to God, ways that we can find ourselves being anchored to him, things that we can think about daily, that we can incorporate into our lives. But first and foremost, know this. We must know Jesus, know who he is, know that he is God in human form. Then we must receive Jesus. We must repent and receive him. But that is the way in which we respond as well. After we receive Christ, we respond through repentance by turning away from our sin and turning back towards God. And that is much easier to do when Jesus is your anchor because we will tend to want to drift. But if we're anchored to Christ, we will always be on the ready to repent and turn back towards God. So here's a few things that we can think about that we can actually do without having to go through the old priesthood system. First and foremost, if you have received Christ and responded to him, get baptized. Baptism is nothing but public confession of what Christ has done for you in your life, how he has made you a new creation. He has transformed you. Daily, if you want to draw near to God, you must get into his word. You must be reading the Bible daily. His word is a great way to keep you from drifting away and to keep you drawing near to him. Also, we must habitually be praying for ourselves and for one another. Prayer is powerful. Prayer keeps us connected. And, and remember this. There's no more priesthood. There's no more system. You can pray to God because you are a priest yourself. You are qualified to pray as a priest because of your faith in what Jesus did and accomplished upon the cross. Another thing that we can be committed to habitually would be fellowship. 
We must be connected to a local church. We must be in the habit of meeting, coming together. Church, this is so vital. We are in this together. Think about how I started off this morning. Being thankful for the men that the Lord has brought into our lives. You, as a body of believers, we are a fellowship and we must be in the habit of continually coming together so we can pray for one another, so that we can encourage one another, so that we can, you know, do things like edify one another, like teach and build each other up in God's word. So we can also, I know this isn't always easy, but rebuke one another. Because I don't know about you, but I can say this about myself. And I mean it when I say it. I do not trust myself. And if I don't have accountability with you, what good is it for me to preach he? Simply, we, we can just say it like this. And this is our second point and final point this morning. Jesus is our source for salvation and connection to God. In fact, we could even go a step further and say, Jesus is our only source for salvation and connection to God. Again, our first point this morning stated this, the tabernacle and priesthood are derivatives of the work accomplished by Jesus Christ. They're close, they're more like an imitation, but they're not the real thing. They only foreshadowed what Jesus was going to accomplish. And finally, our main idea this morning states this, only the forever priest could save man from his sinfulness. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can be encouraged by your word continually. I pray that we can be a fellowship that encourages one another in the gospel. As we leave here, Lord, I pray that you can use us to share you with others so we can see people come to a saving faith in Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email connect at villasgrace.com.